Well, hey, good morning. So everything has a starting point, everything, whether it's your romance, your education, your parenting, everyone kind of remembers the time that you had a starting point somewhere and at some time. And uh, for you, and perhaps even Faith, you remember that time when it started. Um, and, but if, there's, if you're anything like me, at different times, you've gone through the, the, uh, the rigors of adulthood where that framework for faith just simply did not hold up. And it was challenged by something or it was challenged in some sort of way. And, and there's, there's all sorts of different ways that we download these frameworks of faith. We download them from our friends and our families um, of different places. Maybe you were, had a friend that you uh, ate over their house and they said a prayer or whatever. And you develop these phrases like God is love or God is everywhere, or, God punishes or God is angry. And we kind of like develop and download these parts of our framework uh, that we experience faith in. And over time, they simply just don't seem to hold any weight when we come up against the realities of life. And, and I mean, I know if you're anything like me over the last number of months, you just had been challenged in a number of different ways. There's been a challenge of a, a family member, maybe a death in the family, maybe you've engaged things in, in, in different ways uh, that you just are simply looking for ways to grow and trying to develop that new stuff. But the framework for faith has to have a refresher just like anything else. And so what we really need is a, a new kind of adult way of looking at, the, uh, of looking at everything. And, and we really believe that that starts not with a book, it doesn't start with a group of people, but it starts with Jesus. And that starts with the resurrection, his, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And no matter what we do, no matter what we engage in, no matter what chaos that needs to be ordered in our life, we can get through it, we can maneuver it, we can actually grow from it simply because we profess the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so here today, what we're going to do is kind of dive into that sort of a, a framework. But if everything has a starting point, um, my question really today is, what was God's starting point? What was God's starting point for faith? What, like, what, like what, what made him think like this needed to happen? Or, or really, how do we maneuver this sort of world according to this sort of idea? Like, how, how did God say, oh, I, just, I think we need to start somewhere and maneuver this? How did we do that? And so really, God even had a starting point for our faith. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to dive through this. Um, the next few points, and, and, and really understand, God, God, how did you start this whole idea called faith? Like, how did we get here? Um, for me, uh, I, I love, uh, we, we love mason jars in our house. I don't know if you are. If you do, we uh, love mason jars, mainly because they're like three bucks for 40, right? And you can <laughs> use them for whatever you want, right? And uh, my, my wife and I, actually, when we got married uh, a, few, a few years back, um, obviously, they, we, we ended up using, uh, you know, mason jars for our wedding, you know, just like every Pinterest family does, right? We, <laughs> we, <laughs> we used it for our, our wedding. And, and, and just like maybe some of you in your house or in different parts of your life, you know, like when you start off in your family, you say, ah, oh, this is just temporary, and then you use the same thing for 32 years, you know, have you, you have those things? Well, those are, are the mason jars from our wedding are still the glasses that we use every single week at our house, right? And so it's just one of those things, you grab the mason jars as you're bouncing around, doing all sorts of stuff. And what, what, we, did, what we did is we grabbed one when, when we started giving Channing baths. We, we, we grabbed one. But what, one day when he was four, I grabbed one. I was, uh, I was at home giving Channing a bath. I grabbed one, and I put one on the side of the bathtub. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Not what I was thinking, clearly, because that's what I did. I put it right on the side of the bathtub, and lo and behold, this mason jar falls off the side of the bathtub into the bathtub and shatters everywhere. And so I have a naked four-year-old. Sorry, Channing, for when you watch this when you're 20. Um, I got a naked four-year-old in a bathtub full of broken glass. Now, we got problems, big, big, big problems. And so what I said to Channing was, hey, buddy, figure it out, call me if you need me. <laughs> right, exactly. I did not say that. Clearly, I didn't say that. But, but here's my point. Here's my point. No one believes I did that, right? Because why would you leave a naked four-year-old in a bathtub full of shattered glass? That's a terrible thing to do. But a lot of us believe that's what God does to us. A lot of us believe that we might be in a glass-filled bathtub. And God's kind of like, hey, man, figure it out. You're in a mess. Figure it out. You know, call me when you're ready or call me if you need something. I'll just be, you know, watching sports over in the living room. No one believes that I did that to Channing. But people believe that about God. And what the problem is with that is that then I become more compassionate than the God you believe in. And if that's true, it might be time for a new reality regarding how we view God. See, here's the thing. God started faith. God, God had a starting point of faith. And it started at a place where there was a big mess that needed to be cleaned up. See, God's starting point, number one, started with God's broken plan. See, God had this really awesome view of the world, and he creates the world, and God creates the world. What does he say? He said, this is very good. All right, first service did better than you. That's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Remember, God starts the world, and he doesn't say bad, terrible, broken. God start, God, God's like a New Englander. God starts the world, and he says, this is good. This is like blowing my mind good. We need to delight in this. We need to rest in this. We need to be in this. In fact, the, the scriptures have a word for what the garden was. It was called shalom, where everything was as God intended it to be. Like everything is whole here. Everything is balanced here. Everything is based off God for life. Everything is as God intended it to be. It was like heaven on earth. But sin broke everything. And actually, all the three major religions in the world today, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all believe this to be the same thing. They believe that God creates the world, creates it very good, creates this really awesome world, but then sin enters the world through the hearts and the behaviors of people. The heart and the behavior of people broke everything, and because sin breaks worlds apart. Where you find sin, you find brokenness. So sin begins to break everything apart, and, and it really affects us in major ways. It affects our relationship with God because a perfect and holy, just God can't be connected to sin, to, to, to sin any sort of imperfection. It, it, it affects our relationship with ourselves. So instead of seeing ourselves as secure, created in God's image, now we're insecure, and we, we try to find our identity in other things. It breaks our relationship with others because when you... When you heap shame and guilt onto a person and put them in a relationship with the other person, it creates all sorts of brokenness. Um, it, it even affects our relationship with the world and, because instead of participating with God in the ongoing creation of the world, now we're looking to extract from it and trying to get our own pleasure from it. And so it even affects our relationship with the world. 
So sin breaks everything, but really sin is weird. It's a weird word, right? It's just a word, it's just a word we use in religious contexts. We don't use that word outside. You don't go up to your boss and say, hey, sorry, bro, I sinned against you, right? And if you do, you're weird and no one likes you, right? It's like, kind of like, oh, strange. I'm just kidding. That's not true. But, but like, you don't say that to your boss. The word that you do use is this word mistake. Hey, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And if that, sometimes we don't say that to our boss all the time, do we? Like, let's try to hide our mistakes. Hey, a, a mistake. I'm so sorry I made a mistake. But what is, what is the, like the, the, the implication of a, the word mistake? Or maybe what's, a, what's, a, uh, what's, what's behind that whole idea of, a, of the word mistake is that I didn't mean to do it or I didn't know any better. Behind the word mistake is this kind of disconnection from our action. But here's the deal. If, if you know this to be true like I do, sometimes I make mistakes and I don't mean to, but sometimes I make mistakes and I did mean to. Sometimes I make mistakes and I planned to make the mistake. And sometimes we get stuck in patterns of mistakes that break our relationships, make us lose jobs, and disconnect ourselves from, uh, di- disconnect us from even our own self because we get stuck in these patterns that we can't seem to break. If you talk to someone in recovery right now and say, hey, why don't you just stop that? They'll look at you like, do you think if it was that easy, I wouldn't have done that 10 years ago before I lost my family? Don't you think I would have stopped that 15 years ago before I went through that crazy season in my life? Because sin is much bigger than just a mistake. Sin is something that broke everything. Sin has some very real consequences. Sin is a very big deal. And so God has this big grand plan broken, that, that be ultimately be, gets broken by the realities of sin. And so we find ourselves in this really unique place where we try to fix it. Don't you try to just try to, like if you, I mean sometimes I, I watch that happen all the time with kids or whatever. They, they spill something, they're like, oh man, let's, let's figure out how to fix this, don't you? Oh man, like you see it in, you see it in your kids' eyes, maybe you see it in, in your colleagues' eyes when they know they screwed up. They're like, oh, I just got to clean this up. I just got to clean this up. Instead of saying, oh, man, I just got to trust. No one says that, right? Like, I just got to trust in God right now. No, you try to clean it up. But the, pr- the problem is you can't fix your own sin. You can't get out of those patterns all the time. You can't, you can't stop planning some of those things because our sin doesn't need a fixer. It needs a savior. We need to be saved from it something outside of ourselves that ultimately gives us an understanding about who we are inside of ourself. God has this grand plan where all things are as God intended them to be, but sin broke it. And what God decided to do, he had two options at this point. He could have either hung an out-of-order sign and said, I'm done with that. Or he could have gotten involved. And so ultimately, I find myself with a four-year-old in a bathtub full of glass. And what do I do? Do I say, eh, that's, I, could, I could cut myself. I could cut a finger. I could cut a hand. I could do something that, that hurts. No. How do you start to pick up that mess? One piece at a time. One piece at a time. I know they're a fun story because I got some time and this is free. Um, and I have a microphone and you don't. Ha ha. Uh, another kid's story for you. Um, how many have had a kid throw up in the middle of the night? You want to see a man paralyzed from head to toes? This guy right here. No clue how to function in those environments whatsoever. My wife, superwoman, right? 
just goes to town, cleaning everything up, right? And I, I, there's just a mess in front of us, except for the one time my wife was away, <laughs> right? My, wife, my wife's away. She was actually about 45 minutes away from home. She was getting home like really, really late at night. She, so I'd call her and say, you know, hey, babe, how's it going? Oh, get, getting close, getting close. All right, great, awesome. Can't wait to see you. Drive safe, don't whatever. I literally, I hang up the phone, and from the other room, I hear an event happening. <laughs> I hear an event happening, and I thought, dear Lord, <laughs> save me from my sorrow in this Right, and so, and I had to go take care of it. How do you pick up messes like that? You gotta start somewhere, one piece at a time. One piece at a time. Many of you are in this same sort of chaos right now. It could be all sorts of different places. I've talked to, I've talked to you. I've heard your stories. I, had, I, heard, I talked to a f- couple people in between gatherings right here and in front. Yeah, man, you're all over the place. I, I sense right now, there, there, there's just, I, every time I talk to someone, they're like, I just need a new season in my life. I just need a new season in my life. I need it to become spring, whether it's physically or, you know, it's like kind of psychologically, I guess. You've, I need a new season in my life. I need a new season. And what we end up doing is we try to fix it or we try to solve it or we try to do something big. But in all reality, we need to point to someone bigger, a grander plan, a bigger plan, something that can actually do what we're looking to do. Because God had a plan and it broke because of sin. And when you find sin, you find brokenness. But really, we need a a plan to put it back together, not a plan to just uh, try not to feel better within it. So God's got this broken plan. He could either hung an out of order sign or he could have actually gotten involved. Praise God he decides to get involved. He gets involved. And so God starts over. But he doesn't start over by like wiping the thing out. He doesn't start over by wiping everything out. He starts over by revealing himself to a man named Abram. And in Genesis 12, um, he, he, he interacts with, with Abram, and, but essentially it's, it's in 1876 B.C. This is actually like an actual year, and so I'm going to call a cynic timeout. Everyone knows what that, that is? Like if you're just a little cynical like I am, and I'm like, prove it, right? Like to the God of the universe, prove it to me. 1876, like this happened. This man named Abram existed. And so Christianity we bump into as not a spirituality, like some sort of thing, like alternative spirituality. Christianity actually interacts with real people in real dates. And so you have to do something with the information. You don't, just be like, you don't get to just be like, I don't know, maybe. Well, no, no, no. No, like Abram existed. And he lived at this time in, in history. And this story is written about him. And it's an experience that is recorded about him. And so you understand that, you, that, that we have to engage with this somehow. And so Abram, though, is this lying, cheating, shortcut of a man. Like, finding ways to shortcut. If you read the story, all of Abram's story, he's just constantly finding a way to make himself look better, even at the expense of, a couple times, his wife. Just terrible, terrible. But God reveals himself to him in his mess, in his chaos, in his own junk, reveals himself to him and says, you're going to be the guy. You're going to be the guy that I create a nation from. And from this nation, I'm going to bless all people. This is what he says to him. This is what he says to Abram. He says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. Now look, at this time frame, all nomads, just nomadic. So nations, the whole idea of nations and empires, 
really difficult, really hard to see. Abram, like, lived before Egypt, all these sorts of, like, there's the whole idea of a nation. They would have been like, give me 30, 40 people, and we got a, yeah, we got a good cookout, let's do it. He's like, nation? Now, at this stage of the game, Abram has no children whatsoever. So he said, How, a nation needs people. We just like big families, of which I have nothing. How are you going to make me a great nation? It's kind of like you calling 911, saying, hey, my house is on fire, and them saying, let us assemble the fire truck first. We'll be there as soon as we can. It's kind of like at that level of disconnection. I will make you a great nation. Then he says, I will bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. Like, literally, I'm going to make your name famous. I'm going to make your name as the name that everybody knows. And, 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 and honestly, if you've ever heard of Zoar, king of Bola, Bela, have you ever heard of him? Big, big time king, like in, this whole, like, in this whole region, this whole time frame. No one knows that guy, but we know Abram. It's a, it's a promise that is actually coming to, coming to pass. It's coming true. So I'm going to make your name famous and I'm going to bless you. Why? So that you can be a blessing to all people. See, this is an event that literally all three of the major religions believe in. This is something that actually they all understand to be a start of something. So I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to bless you. The, the, where this breaks down is what nation and who. But he says, he literally says to, to him, I'm going to make everyone blessed through your line. So God starts over. So man, I'm going to create a nation that's going to show everyone what God is like. What's, what's that I love about the church? A church is a group of people that's showing other people what God is like. A church is a group of people that says, I want to be more like Jesus because I want to show other people what Jesus is like through the way that I talk, through the way that I live, through the way that I worship through what I worship. And literally from this nation, from this kingdom is literally going to be blessing. Like you're going to be better off for interacting with this group of people. There's going to be life where there's death. There's going to be hope where there's just hopelessness. There's going to be confidence where there's, where there's fear. And so from this group of people, they're going to show each other what God is like. And that's literally what's taking place when you bump into people within the kingdom of God. So God says, I'm going to start over. But what's really important about the, the life of Abraham, what's really important about that is this, like life continues to go on for him. He gets this really big, really big promise. He's got this whole like whole concept, like a really big perspective, this whole like kind of like expectation about what his life is going to look like. If, if, God of the, if the God of the universe reveals himself to you and said, hey, I'm going to make you a nation, like my expectations on life go a little bit higher, right? Like I'm not just going to be like, ah, I just hope to be like a nine to fiver. Like, no, he's going to make me a nation. Obviously, there's going to be some, some expectation that, that happens from that. But you know what, what happens when you're, there's a gap between your expectations and God's timetable? Anger comes from that. Cynicism comes from that. This deep understanding, I have a belief. I got something God told me. And he's testing my patience right now, big time. And his timetable just is not coming to pass in my life. 
and I need to be in a holding pattern, or I need to be waiting. Like, nobody likes that. And this is where we find Abraham. In Genesis 15, just a few chapters later, he's saying to God, he's like, God, you gave me this promise, like, that I was going to be a nation, like, a huge deal. And at this point in my life, I just hope to be a dad. Like, I'm not even a dad. You told me I was going to have, like, millions of people, and, like, all nations of the world are going to be blessed, and I just want a kid. And right now, all of my stuff is going to go to my servant, and that's just not fun for me. And God says to him, no, 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 it's not going to happen. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 15, verse 4. It says, the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, again, what Abram's struggling with is his framework for faith. Jesus uh, yeah, well, Jesus ultimately, right? Sorry about that. God like, presents himself to Abram and gives him a framework for how he should relate with him. And that framework is not coming to pass. He's saying, I'm struggling with my framework for faith. I'm struggling with this whole idea. God, you told me this. You said this is what it was gonna be like, and yet my reality is this. And everybody said Amen. Right? Like, that's, that's the recipe for life. He says, no, no, no. You will have a son because I'm faithful. I said it. I'm the one that you should trust in. This is what the, this is what the, the, the biggest phrase, one of the biggest phrases in the entire Bible that literally will shape the way that you understand God And two, if you're interested in finding God's approval and him approving of your life, you should really pay attention right now. Genesis 15, that stuff is really big. That's a big big deal. But look at this verse that comes right after this. He he gets bumped into in verse six, if you throw it on the screen. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now here's where all the three major religions are gonna split paths. For some, it's birth. For birth, you find God's approval through your lineage. Well, because I'm born into this. You worship because that was part of your identity when you were being raised. I'm a Christian because my mom was a Christian, my dad was a Christian, my grandparents were Christians. I go to Mass because that's what I know to do every holiday. And so we understand birth to be our source of God's approval. Our lineage is really what creates that. For others, and that's, that's really where Judaism falls into. And then for others, it's behavior. For others, it's behavior. If I store up enough good works, God has no choice but to approve me. No choice. And that's the entire structure of Islam. If you do a little bit more, if you do these five, five, five pillars, then you are at peace with God but don't screw up because you could wipe the whole thing out. For some, it's behavior. For Christianity, it starts with a group of people that say, I believe. It starts with a group of people that say, I trust. It starts with a group of people that says, this is what I'm going to put my faith in. 
This literally changes everything because at this time frame, as it is now, the entire thing, the entire religious system was built off behavior, was built off activity, was built off doing. But what, what the Bible is presenting is a God that has a relationship with you based off being, not doing. What I love about this is this is ultimately where the this is ultimately where, the, the, uh, where Jesus comes from. This lineage creates not this entirely new way, where, this entirely new kingdom where everything is as God intends them to be and that's it. But it starts to bless all people everywhere where God is literally bringing about the restoration of all things through a person named Jesus. And the New Testament brings this into play in Romans chapter 10 where it brings about the same idea that God, told to, God said to, uh, to Abram, he, Paul is saying this to the church in Rome, in Rome. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so the same group of people that through their heart and their behavior enters sin, Jesus restores it, and now through our heart, we can actually begin a whole new way of life built off of not our activity and our behavior, not our birth and our lineage, but off our belief and our faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he lived, that he died, and he resurrected. Now look, religion, churches complicate this like crazy, don't they? Like, if I just add 14 things on top of this, then things will feel better. We complicate this so much. Sometimes, sometimes I just, I literally, I practice this. I'll be sitting in, in I'll be sitting like, like, like in my chair time in the morning, and I'll literally be like, I trust you, God. Like, you, I feel like I want to do 14,000 things right now to show you how much I love you, but I just trust you. I believe in you. I'm going to start there. And I literally take a deep breath and say, all of the ways that I want to prove myself to you right now, I know will present themselves as nothing but filthy rags. That's what your, scripture, that's what your word says. But I just trust you. I renew my belief in you. See, what I love about believing is that it connects us all in different ways. Behavior, everyone's going to have different statuses based off how much they can do and not do. Birth, who has control over that? If you have a way into that, talk to me, write a book, figure it out, make a lot of money. Belief, no matter where you're from, backgrounds, socioeconomics, physical abilities, belief is something that we can all do. Belief is connecting in a way that, that actually can present something unified. No matter where you are, belief is beautiful because it's not built off anything except for our heart and our trust. And so the question is, what do you trust in? Do you trust in your birth? In the lineage by which you find yourself in? Do you trust in your behavior? Or do you have a renewed sense of your belief that Jesus is Lord? That Jesus did live, he did die, and he did resurrect. Man, we complicate this so much. I feel like sometimes God just wants to be like, hey, I want to pick up a mess, but you're creating one. You're creating one. I want to do something with the world, but you're just kind of making it more difficult. 
He said, no, no, no. This whole understanding is built off this one idea. Abram believed God. When God told him something, he believed him. And he says, I can do something with that. I can do something with that. I can do something with that. It's not, it's not, I mean, it's not rocket science, but we make it rocket science because what we want to do is feel like we're doing something. It's built into us. It's wired into us. He says, no, 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 I just need you to trust me. And so you have chaos going on in your life right now, and you're desperately trying to order it. You're desperately trying to fix it. And what God is saying, he said, I, I want to fix it. You're, you want to fix it, and I want to save it. I want to change it. I want to give you a new season. I want to do something with that. And it doesn't start with our birth. It doesn't start with our behavior. It starts with our belief in him. It connects us all. And so what the, what, 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 so what the early church did with this whole idea is whenever they bumped into new seasons of like people started believing crazy things, they started creating things called creeds. And you might understand this as the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. These are examples of the more core creeds that we still use today. But the creeds, what they were, they were statements of belief that got them through the chaos. They were statements of renewing the core foundations of who they were so that when things really got nuts, they understood that they had an anchor and it wasn't them. And so for, 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 you know, for many, for, for in the first few hundred years, the, 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 Christian, the, the Christian faith literally grew so fast. It grew so quickly that all of a sudden these, these new people would show up and they would have all sorts of different ways to becoming believers. Like, oh, well, if you, need, you, know, if you do this over here and if you do this over here and if you do all of this well, then now you are a Christian. He says, no, 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 that's not what it is. And they created these creeds to say, this is what we believe. And so I think maybe today, when you think that God's starting point started with Abraham and a statement on trust and faith, maybe for you, your starting point, whether this is brand new to you or this is something you're restarting or something you're trying to find life in because it's been dead for so long, maybe for you, it's not about trying to do, it's not trying to remember, it's literally trying to restate and, rem- restate and renew your belief that Jesus is Lord. I love belief because belief is not based off of anything I can do. It's based off who he is. And so today, I think if we are honest about this, we can start a brand new faith, one that's not based off a certain set of writings, whether or not we interpret things a certain way, whether or not things, but we can literally believe in Jesus as a starting point to our faith and our trust can be in him. We have a, a video that we're gonna show that's go, that, that exemplifies this, that no matter where you're from, no matter what your background, no matter where we go, where you're going, faith and belief is something we all can do.